interesting thing about Spain um, is that in a way it epitomizes some of the challenges that are actually cutting across European societies and I will explain why. And it also matters very much what Spain, France and Italy and similar countries think because they are the big six and a big business of uh, the European foreign policy gets done not by Germany and France but actually because the second tier countries approve or not block and this is important. And lastly, because um, uh, my predecessors and actually the other partners have also made the point that we, there are intertwined uh, cleavages among European countries, and if we don't tackle them outright, we will be seen at loggerheads on the way forward on the Eastern Partnership or on the future of, of the southern neighborhood as a whole. Now, the, the interesting thing about Spain, and why I mentioned that it epitomizes some of the challenges that Europeans are facing with Ukraine, is that uh, on the one hand, uh, the average European society is mostly focused on economic insecurity. And, and you mentioned, right, that my country is still suffering from the economic crisis, although now we're growing. But for a while, the crisis in my country, in your country, in our countries, has this effect of inward looking. So you, you basically detach yourself from the world. However, uh, this might be changing. Unfortunately, not as much for Ukraine, but for Charlie Hebdo and similar attempts. Please don't forget that the biggest terrorist attack on European territory happened in Madrid uh, 11 years ago. And a recent poll showed that uh, an overwhelming majority of Spaniards favored military intervention overseas and the fight for liberties in UN or NATO, but not that much on, 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 on Ukraine. And why is that important? Because there's a security perception gap. Uh, the Poles see themselves as front state, but so do the Spaniards, which are under a different different threat. And we don't devote that much effort to actually bridge these differences. Um, another interesting uh, note is that um, Europeans, as former Defense Secretary Gates put it, uh, we are in a process of demilitarization. But the Ukraine crisis puts on the table the fact that we have a military crisis um, in the middle of Europe, in a way, as we did in, with the Balkans 15 years ago. So uh, we are fine with sending troops overseas to countries we actually hardly know how to place in the map, but not that much when it happens at the heart of Europe. And I think this is a dilemma for, for Western European states, among which France, England as well, and, and Spain. Um, lastly, still on these reflections on, on society and, and policy, um, we are suffering from a huge reputational crisis, and the EU now has become the scapegoating for that. And this crisis has three elements. One of them is the democracy, and it's happening at the national level, but it's also happening at the European level. Uh, secondly, the, the economic crisis, certainly, the criticism on, on austerity. And thirdly, the foreign policy crisis. It's also a reputational crisis, because people actually have lost uh, their trust in our common institutions. So... Uh, the trust in a common security policy, and our adherence to normative standards. And I don't need to dwell further, but we have a Snowden, Feinstein report, and a number of things, which actually it's a killer if you want to explain to Spaniards, or to the French for that matter, why is it important that we re-engage with, with Ukraine. So I think this is, this is important to bear in mind. And Podemos and similar anti-establishment parties spring from, from this con, you know, confluence of, of crisis. Now, um, still on why Spain in a way is a test case of this thinking on Ukraine is because in my work I have identified four big factions in our foreign policy establishment which are replicated in, in, in the European foreign policy discussions. 
One of them is this, uh, what I call the Russian understanders, or in your language, the Russland Fersters. Uh, so basically, they see the crisis with Ukraine from a geopolitical perspective, and they tend to justify Russia, uh, the grievances inflicted upon Russia in the aftermath of the Cold War, Kosovo, etc. So ergo, they they like Kissinger, and they like a geopolitical settlement for Ukraine, including Russia, and sometimes overlooking Ukraine. But this is important because it plays a role. Uh, UK's, uh, UKIP, uh, Le Front National, Podemos, etc., are behind this thinking, but also people in the foreign policy establishment. They have a certain sense of you know, regret that we didn't engage with Russia. Secondly, you have the what I call the equidistance, and they are trying to juggle both the demands of European unity uh, but also the need not to isolate Russia. And this is, I think, a majority in, in our diplomatic system. And this is why you see Spain playing a balancing act between supporting sanctions, but let us not rush and isolate completely Russia, because we tend to see that, however, the outcome in Ukraine will need to get some relations with, with Russia. Thirdly, um, these are the pro-Maidan. Unfortunately, so far, a minority in my country where the support for, for the Arab uprisings was, was strong. And here's another cleavage. But the pro-Maidans are, are actually not very powerful, but not only in Spain. Um, you don't hear that much of pro-Maidan rhetoric among our, among our public. So there's a certain sense of estrangement. But for the pro-Maidan, what is important is not relations with Russia, but the democratic future of Eastern Europe and all these geopolitical power games and the democratic future of Russia. Lastly, the four caucus is what I call the Cold Warrior Atlanticists, or the red liners, which see the crisis of, of Ukraine as a consequence of us not adhering to our red lines. Syria being a case in point, but there are other red lines that have been flouted. And this is important because they also play a role in our policy towards NATO, etc. But they don't care that much uh, for the future of Ukraine as such and its population. They care for Ukraine in as, in as much as it matters for relations with Russia and balance in Russia, which I humbly think is the, is the case of our American friends as well. So, so, so <laughs> thought-provoking. Concluding, uh, because you asked me about the way forward, uh, I think the relevance of the crisis of Ukraine, um, it's also that it shows that um, the European project has lost a shared narrative, what, what Tony Youth called the sense of common purpose. And that common narrative is missing on, on democracy, prosperity, and European solidarity. So we need to reinvent what the so-called free peace mean. Prosperity, peace, and power. So I think Ukraine, in a way, dovetails with that. And secondly, uh, CFSP has failed to trigger a strategic convergence. And by having common institutions, you create a certain synergy. But it's not enough for the challenges we're facing. So this is why I think we need to do this cross-fertilizing. And this is the case, for instance, these good synergies between Spain and Poland, having countries with different strategic and geopolitical outlook, but willing to bridge the differences. Because an Eastern partnership only driven by the same caucus will not be enough to rely the whole European support, let alone our, our societies. So we need to achieve compromises. And I think this will include a closer military cooperation with a number of countries, bilateral and minilateral, not only from NATO, but bilateral and minilateral, closer diplomatic uh, cooperation, mutual secondments, and in a way, 
the same exchanges we're asking the Eastern Partnership countries, we don't have them that much at home. We need to, to bring the Eastern question to our, to our societies and vice versa. Thank you.